0: Hello and welcome to episode 106 of My Circus, My Monkeys. Last week, I had a fantastic coaching session. This individual wanted to know how they could motivate the new professionals on their team. I was so jazzed, I wanted to break down some key points of that discussion for this episode. So, if you're a supervisor who's struggling to figure out what's up with this new generation, or if you're a new professional who's struggling to connect with your supervisor, stay tuned.
1: You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Ann Brackett, the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University.
0: Okay, so I'm a Gen Xer, and last week I was having a coaching call with a fellow Gen Xer. At the start of the call, as usual, I asked them what they wanted to focus on. They said they weren't quite sure what to do, With the young professionals in their office. Their biggest concern was how to motivate them. Now, exactly why did they need motivation? Their supervisor wanted them to embrace the idea that this was a career, not just a job. And they also mentioned that these new folks seemed a bit lazy and they weren't quite sure what to do to fix the problem. Now, I totally get this. I've definitely had my share of employees who just seemed to be showing up and doing the bare minimum. And when I compared them to my go-getters and overachievers, it seemed like they could and should be doing more. This supervisor legitimately wanted to know how they could get them revved. Alternatively, they wondered if they should be worrying about this at all. And they weren't asking in a defeatist way. They really wanted to know if this was worth their time or if they needed to change their perspective. In order to answer this question, we need to step back and look at the bigger picture. Hashtag context. So many stories in society and in higher ed tell us that we need to work hard and sacrifice to be successful, contributing members of society. And that message starts young. Remember those attendance awards in school? It was deemed a virtue to come to school no matter how you were feeling. It's often seen as a badge of honor to have unused sick or vacation days. Sure, you get them, but is there time to take them? I've heard plenty of stories where folks feel pressured not to use them or prevented from taking them if the timing didn't work out for their employer. I mean, I wasn't great at this myself. In the last few years on campus, HR would let me know around May how many vacation days I had that wouldn't roll over to the new fiscal year. And I'd end up taking large portions of June off just to avoid losing them. But if they hadn't prompted me, I probably would have just kept working. For so many of us, including myself, our identities are tied up in our work. I've previously mentioned the book, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving by Celeste Headley. What I love about the book is she dives into this issue both historically and based on current research, which of course ticks a lot of my boxes for input and context. I want to focus on the history of work today. Now, I've read this book three times, but it's been a while, so I'm summing up these points the best I can. You know how sometimes when you're exhausted, you stop to make yourself feel better because in olden times, people had to work way harder and in much worse conditions? well, that's not actually true. You spend more time at work than most of your ancestors. I specifically remember her talking about medieval peasants. Now, surely medieval peasants were toiling all day and all year out in the fields, right? But that's not true. The church knew that if they tried that bleep, they'd have a revolt on their hands so they made sure peasants had tons of religious holidays and festivals to keep them happy. That's right. Medieval peasants worked fewer hours and had more vacation than you do. Beyond that, most folks worked on their own terms prior to the Industrial Revolution. If they were a craftsman, they chose their rate and decided how many whatevers they wanted to make in a day or a week. They focused on getting enough money to support their life, not to work for work's sake. What they did as a means of work was a small part of their their identity. Now, I don't specifically remember whether or not she mentioned them, but I feel compelled to mention the Puritans here. You remember that religious sect who came to America from England who were pretty much anti-everything? Well, they were super into working hard to prove they were going to heaven. And since they believed who was going to heaven, had already been decided, working hard didn't actually get you into heaven. It just proved to everyone else that you were definitely one of the people going. I'm simplifying this a bit, but basically the message is work hard because that proves you're godly. Suddenly your spiritual worthiness and morality became wrapped up in how hard you worked. And because they had such a huge impact on the culture in the United States... That message has been absorbed as a belief that laziness is immoral. So people became judged on how hard they worked. And this work ethic coincided nicely with the Industrial Revolution when the economy really changed. So instead of people deciding how and when they worked, they started to be paid per hour. And the expectations of how many hours one worked increased because that was better for business. Eventually, there was pushback with the labor movement in the late 1800s and early 1900s because there were so many abuses by employers. Employees pushed back, formed unions, and got legislation passed that set child labor laws, the 40-hour work week, safety requirements, and the like. Unions began to flourish to protect workers from employers who often wanted people to do more with less for their benefit. Wink, wink. So fast forward. During World War II, there was naturally a patriotic push to work harder to make sure the bad guys lost. People were asked to sacrifice for the sake of their country. That meant working long hours to make planes, bombs, and anything that might help preserve our and the world's freedom. Now, Allied soldiers absolutely needed these things, but if you know anything about government contracts you know that the companies making these objects were being paid handsomely to do so. Those profits didn't trickle down to the folks sacrificing to make them. After World War II, some folks realized, hey, you know it would really benefit us business owners? If people kept working their bleeps off, but instead of defeating bad guys, we'll say it's to build the economy. So now hard, hard work to create a strong economy equaled patriotism. Again, fast forward, in the 80s, business owners were kind of bummed they weren't making more money. The solution? People needed to buy more stuff. So we added the idea of buying lots of stuff stimulated the economy, which was also hella patriotic. And of course, you need more money to buy more stuff, so you better work even harder. Now, that's just a brief overview of a few historical highlights to help us better understand where we are today. And hopefully, you can see from that timeline how, A, historically, people didn't need to work hard to feel like their lives had meaning. In fact, throughout most of history, people just worked to live, not the other way around. This lifestyle is not a natural component of the human experience. For most of history, people weren't judged as being lazy for not working their bleeps off. Leisure and celebration were important parts of life. B. Patriotism and other seemingly noble ideas are frequently used to convince us to sacrifice and boost our productivity. A better economy is theoretically better for the United States. I mean, what are we doing in higher ed? We're preparing people, our current students, to work the jobs that will make our economy strong. We know how positively a college degree can impact future income. Unfortunately, far too often, this productivity benefits the institutions and companies we work for, but not as much the people doing the work. And then C, so many of the hard-fought gains of the labor movement have been willingly sacrificed by us for the sake of these beliefs and culture. There was a reason they capped the work week at 40 hours per week and required overtime pay for extra work. But think about that moment you moved from an hourly to a salaried position. Didn't you feel like that was an honor? Like you were moving up in the world? Yay, you finally made it. You don't have to clock in to prove your value. Now you get to do extra work for your institution for free. Woo-hoo. My point is, there are powerful forces manipulating you for the benefit of others. At the end of the day, it often means you work hard and are willing to sacrifice your energy, time, well-being, and life in the name of religion, country, company, or customer, aka for the students. But why can't you do a reasonable amount of work in exchange for a salary that's reflective of your experience and keeps up with inflation. If it would benefit the institution for your department to do more, why wouldn't you get compensated more or be able to hire someone to do that extra work? The answer is, they don't need to because we've all been trained that hard work and sacrifice make us team players and patriots. Now, what the bleep does this have to do with motivating new professionals? Most of our new professionals are Gen Zers. As with each new generation, you have certain assumptions about them compared to how you were raised slash what you believe about the world. If you're a supervisor, there's a good chance you are Gen X, a millennial, or maybe even a baby boomer. Based on everything I just went over, that means there's an excellent chance you think having a good work ethic means working long hours and sacrificing for the benefit of others. I've talked to many, many supervisors who are mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. I've worked with folks who have chronic illnesses that were brought on by this super-duper awesome work ethic. Casually, it sounds like this. Gosh, you seem tired. Why don't you take tomorrow off? Oh, I can't. I have a meeting. Hey, are you going on vacation this summer? Oh, there's no way. I have way too much work to do. Or maybe you get an early text that explains, Hey, running late, was up all night sick, but I'll be there in time for my first meeting. But this new generation, these Gen Zers, have seen the toll of this work ethic on our health and well-being. In a BBC article in June of 2022, Allie Francis says, For decades, the cultural mandate in many Western countries has been hustle hard for your employer and you'll be rewarded. If the striving is for a job you love, the pay will be satisfaction. And if the job involves climbing the rungs of a corporate ladder, the pay will be, well, big bucks. Though different in motivation, both paths share the same narrative. As a result, work has become an obsession, an identity even something workers traditionally have felt lucky to have. But increasingly, Generation Z workers, those born between 1997 and 2012, are insisting we write a new script for work. Having observed older workers experience burnout, time poverty, and economic insecurity at the grindstone, they're demanding more from their workplaces, bigger paychecks, more time off, the flexibility to work remotely, and greater social and environmental responsibility. Many of these values were millennial preferences, but for Gen Zers, they've become expectations, and they're willing to walk away from employers if their needs aren't met, end quote. They've seen that all of our hard work isn't paying off, at least not for us. You staying late doing the work of two people or sacrificing your well-being isn't the win-win you are promised. So Gen Zers aren't having it. In our conversation, the supervisor was shocked that shortly before a new professional was supposed to go teach class, they announced they weren't feeling well and were going home. And most of us would be shocked by this. It's second nature for us to power through. So you're going to think, um, you can't rally for an hour or so and then go? We've been trained that our responsibilities are more important than our well-being. But are they? What's really going to happen if class is canceled one day? Oh, that's right, the students will be pumped that they got a break. Sure, you might have to adjust the rest of the semester, but really the only reason that seems overwhelming is because some of us feel like things have to be the way they were planned. When you have an instinctual response like this, it's easy to assume it's because you're right and the other party is wrong. As a supervisor, that can easily translate into, yikes, these new professionals are lazy. How can I motivate them to do more? In other words, it's your job to fix these new professionals so they assimilate to the status quo. But it would behoove all of us to step back and reassess our own stories and this culture when we feel challenged. Maybe they're not lazy. Maybe they don't feel like their identity is tied to their work. We have all these colloquialisms in higher ed, like this is a career, not a job, being a team player, or motivating your team. These all seem like noble ideas, but they're really just code for getting people to do more work without additional compensation. You know I'm not a huge fan of annual reviews for a variety of reasons, but if we look at those reviews with the best of intentions... It's about making sure folks are doing their job well. And how does one know whether a person is doing their job well? By measuring one's performance to the expectations that have been set, right? But most annual evaluations don't just have two options, do they? It's not meet expectations or doesn't meet expectations. There's needs improvement, and that gold standard exceeds expectations. And for most of us, if we don't hit that exceeds expectations on most items, we feel like a failure. That means it's implied that you shouldn't just find out what you're supposed to do and do that satisfactorily. You're also supposed to know what isn't expected and do that as well, which is kind of a catch 22 because that means it is expected. So why do you need to exceed expectations? Why do your new professionals? Why aren't we setting ourselves up for success by establishing clear and realistic expectations for ourselves and our employees? Why can't we say, you know, for the $40,000 we're able to pay someone for this position, this is a reasonable workload. Sure, we start there when we're figuring out the job description, or at least that's our intention. But when they get there, we wonder why they're not doing more than that. So you ask yourself what you're doing wrong as a supervisor. You ask yourself, how can I motivate them to do more? Even if that might potentially lead them to doing an unreasonable amount of work for the same salary. So let's go back to the coaching session I had last week. What I loved most about our discussion was that this supervisor, a fellow Gen Xer, was very open to the idea that, hey, maybe this really isn't something to worry about. Maybe it's something about my perspective. They shared that they too have struggled with work-life balance and investing in their own self-care. And they shared how their own work ethic was inherited from their parents, one of whom was sick exactly one day in their 40-year career. Not only did this person realize That they don't need to quote unquote motivate healthy work boundaries out of their new employees, but they also realized that it was okay for them to start creating those boundaries too. And that's a huge win for everyone on that team. I titled this episode, Motivating Your New Professionals, but I'd like to upgrade that to Be careful what stories you pass on to new professionals. The stories we have about working hard being devoted to our field and career, and sacrificing for our institution and students doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve new professionals. Most folks I talk to struggle with stress and self-care. If that describes you, why on earth would you try to persuade these new professionals who value work-life balance and self-care to give that up? Gen Zers are able to set healthy work boundaries. They don't center their identity on work or career. And there's nothing wrong with that. Perhaps they're the ones who need to motivate us to take better care of ourselves and value our own work and worth. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus for everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning. You will get an additional 60 minutes of our time and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now, check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest, and that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes, or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org.
1: Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkeys. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes, on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable... Please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.